Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we are in Lesson 39 in the series, The Gospel According to Moses, based upon the book of Exodus. And in Lesson 39, we're going to be focusing in on Exodus chapter 14. And there's so much here, um, I have to break this up into a couple of parts. This will be part one of Lesson 39. And it's entitled, Where's Mount Sinai? So in my preparation, um, I just found just, just so much. And when we take a look at chapter 14, and many times so much in the Torah, whether it's Genesis or Exodus, we're trying to grasp the understanding of Jesus' statement in John 5.39 that all scripture testifies of him. He said that between 24 to 30 AD, the only scripture that they had in Jesus' day was the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And so therefore, where is Jesus in the Torah? Where is Jesus in Exodus 14? Just wait, this will be more in, in part two. And then the Hebrews, what did they see? So again, I, I have found so much. And it, let me give you an example. When we deal with Exodus 14, we are dealing with the main event of crossing the sea. And many people say crossing the Red Sea. However, in the research, we find out that the idea of crossing the Red Sea is presented in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation from the Hebrew of the original Hebrew scriptures, and probably in about 200 BC in Egypt. So it's the Septuagint that uses the word red, not the Hebrew. The Hebrew uses the word suf, yam suf. Yam is the Hebrew word for the sea or ocean or lake. Okay, suf could very well be a Egyptian loan word. It's Strong's number is 5488. And what I mean by a loan word, we have loan words in, in English. So, for instance, uh, here's a couple of French words that are real French, French words from the French language cafe. Cafe means coffee in French, but cafe to us can mean, you know, a Starbucks cafe. Uh, it could mean a restaurant, a cafe. We're going to go to the cafe and get lunch. So this is a loan word. We're actually using a French word in English. Another one is dossier. We'd say, oh, what is the dossier on that individual? What are all the uh, important information and data and documents related to that one person? We kind of look upon a dossier as more of um, background material on an individual, where dossier is a French word, just means a, a bundle of documents. Or the Persian word bazaar, a bazaar, a bazaar is a market, okay? So those are loan words, and souf could very well be a loan word from the Egyptian because it's an Egyptian word. We find the statement about the sea of souf. So it's not Hebrew, it's going to be an Egyptian in the papyrus Anastasi III, the third papyrus of Anastasi, dated to 1200 BC. Just imagine this. Here is an ancient Egyptian papyrus that, me that mentions 
Yam Suf. And Suf basically means foliage and greenery, uh, marshiness, and so on. And in Papyrus Anastasi, it talks about the area near Pi Ha Hayaroth. Now, this is an area known in ancient Egypt of the lakes that are up in the, you might say, the north uh, western part of the Sinai Peninsula, very close to the Mediterranean Sea, Lakes Bala and Timra. Right now, you could take a look at uh, maps and you would see the Great Bitter Lake or the Small Bitter Lake. And these are the lakes, both now and in the past, because lakes, I think Lake Bala, Lake Timra, those are all dried up. But they're the areas of the Suez Canal today. So here's this papyrus that's giving us suggestions that they didn't cross the Red Sea. In other words, they didn't cross even the Gulf of Aqaba, which is on the way of the eastern shores of the Sinai Peninsula. You know, some people say Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, and they had to cross the Sinai Peninsula and cross the Gulf of Aqaba. But now we have epigraphical in, uh, proof in archaeology that a papyrus, an ancient papyrus dated to 1200 BC, talks about the area of Yam Suf as the area, northwestern area of the Sinai Peninsula, just in the area of the modern city of Ishmalia. So there's more. Uh, that we're going to see on this. Um, and I just have to say, this chapter is just so awesome. Uh, and indeed, this is God's Torah, his instruction. Torah does not mean law. And it's an instruction for them in 1446 B and, uh, BC and for us now, 3,400 years later. And once again, we see the truth in the statements that God made in Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord and I do not change. And in Psalm 119, verse 89, his word is established in the heavens. Well, if you take a look at the word shamaim in Hebrew, it can mean heavens, it can mean places above, and it's also used for the universe. So another way of reading Psalm 119, verse 89 is, his word is established throughout the universe. And indeed, the awesomeness of this chapter is, is unbelievable. So let's begin. Let's begin by reading the beginning verses here in chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi Ha Hayaroth, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon opposite by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, one of the things that I did is I've given you a public domain and a really good public domain map to help you with this part one. Because we're going to be dealing with uh, points in uh, Western Egypt, on uh, the Sinai and the Sinai Peninsula and Saudi Arabia. So if you go to the website, www.lightofmenorah.org, all one word, no spaces, 
Uh, and remember, menorah spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H. So lightofmenorah.org. Uh, you'll see the picture for Lesson 39, Exodus, and it says Part 1, Where is Mount Sinai? But below that, you'll see the description that I have uh, added uh, before you would come to the play button for this audio podcast. And in there, you're going to see a map. You're going to see a map of Sinai, and you'll be able to download the map, print it, you'll be able to save it if you want by just double-clicking on it and so on. Or you can just use it as is so that you can understand the places that I'm talking about in this session. I'll be using the map. I will actually be in the podcast looking at the map here myself and actually using it uh, during this podcast. So just to let you know about that map. So this real first topic when we talk about where's Mount Sinai, uh, it really shows what I'm trying to get at is the importance of the Bible in biblical archaeology. And I mean, it's just critical. Just as an example, Elat Mazar, she's passed on now and she died at an early age, which is sad. But her grandfather, Dr. Mazar, uh, Benjamin Mazar, uh, he taught his daughter, uh, his granddaughter, Elat, about archaeology, and he always told her, start with the Bible. The Bible will give you the key pieces that you need to basically locate the place you're going to dig or aspects of the dig. And this is so true. Matter of fact, she used 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 9, and 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17, when it talks about David lived in the stronghold, which is, was his palace. And she based her discovery of what we think is David's palace in Jerusalem on these verses. She followed her grandfather, and, the grandf and her grandfather said the word of God is so important for us when we're doing biblical archaeology. So, what I want to do is do that to show you its importance. Let's consider the journey so far. In Exodus 12, verse 37, they traveled from Ramesses to Sukkot. That was the first day. Uh, they're in Ramses, and that was the night of their Passover meal. That was the night uh, when the firstborn were uh, executed by God himself. Now, it's not Ramses. In a previous lesson, we dealt with this. This is probably a rename uh, by a copyist uh, hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago because Ramses was known to people at that time and not the city of Avaris, which was probably the site we've dealt with that. And the uh, current uh, name of the place is Tel El Daba. Tel El Daba. I will be using Avaris and Tel El Daba or Ramses. Uh, and they're basically all the same. Now, if you look at your map that I've given you, if you access that there at the website, Tel El Daba is in the uh, upper left corner uh, of the map. And you can see that uh, there's a black box and the words Tel El Daba in blue. And you can see a green line connecting the red dot for Tel El Daba to the modern city uh, in Egypt called Ishmalia. And it says that it's a 30 mile straight line distance. At any rate, 
So that's where Tel El Daba is. That's where Ramses is. So they traveled uh, from Avaris to Sukkot, probably the area of Ishmalia today. Now let's assume that it took at, at least one day to travel from Avaris to Sukkot. Uh, it could be more. It could be two days. It could be a week. My guess is, based upon what you're going to learn today, is probably three days because it's a little over 30 miles. Uh, so my guess is three days, uh, perhaps even five days. But let's assume one day at least, because they're traveling from this location, one day. Now, we go to Exodus 13, verse 20. We're talking about the journey so far. They travel from Sukkoth to a place called Etham. Now, based upon my research, I don't think we know the location of Etham. However, I would have to study my sources because this is a very complex uh, study in terms of the actual path of the uh, Exodus. But again, they traveled from Sukkot to Etham. How long did it take? Three days? Four days? We don't know. But anyway, let's assume one day. So, so far, they traveled from Avaris to Sukkot one day at least one day, and then from Sukkot to Etham, at least another day. At least two days, it could be more. Now, in verse four, uh, in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, or verse 2, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi Haharoth between Migdol and the sea. You will, shall camp in, a, in front of Baal Sephon opposite by the sea. So in the, they're in the area of Pi Hayaroth. Now this is interesting because this area is referenced in the papyrus that we just, the papyrus Anastasi, the third papyrus of Anastasi. It's the Sea of Reeds. And it's the lakes and the marshy area, the reedy area of the area that we would know as the Suez Canal, just, again, west of the modern city of Ishmalia, which you can see on your map in the top upper corner, if you have the map and if you printed it, and it again, it's about 30 miles straight line distance uh, south and east of Tel El Daba. So again, we'll say that it's at least one day. So at least three days from the start to the shore of Yamsuf. And again, it could be more. Now, let's go to Exodus 15, verses 20 through 22, and then we'll go to the first verse of 16. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found the water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a, st a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I... The Lord am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there besides the waters. 
Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Now that's the way we read it in the New American Standard, and actually in the Hebrew it's the wilderness of Tzin, Tzin which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So, this, what we just read, is after the crossing. They crossed, and it seems as if we've got a three-day march tomorrow. On top of that, later on, in the verses that we just read, they went from Mara to Elim, and again, we could at least say at least a day. Again, it could be more. So, from Elim, we come to the wilderness of Tzim. And again, let's assume another day. Assume at least one day. And they arrived on the 15th of the second month. However, the Hebrews left on the 15th of the first month. And what we mean by the first month is, we remember God said in Exodus chapter 12, right there at the beginning of the chapter of Exodus 12, we've covered this before, that God said that this month will be the first month for you. And we know it as the month of Nisan on the biblical calendar. They left on the 15th because they slayed the, um, they sacrificed the Passover lamb on the 14th. Sun down comes and then now it's the 15th. And 15th they had their first Passover dinner and they left on the 15th. So they left on the 15th day of the first month. And here they're in the wilderness of Tzin on the first day of the second month. 30 days later. So, it's 30 days from Avaris, or Tel El Daba, city of Ramses, to the wilderness of Tzim. Now, let's review. It's one month from the start. It's 30 days. All the way from Avaris to cross the sea and come to the wilderness of Tzim. Now, we just read that once they cross the sea, it's at least five days after crossing the sea to the wilderness of Tzim. So, we have five days accounted for in this month. Remember, it's a month since they left. And we have five days, at least five days, which means we've got 25 days to deal with. But it's at least five days from the crossing of the sea to the wilderness of Sin. It could be more. Now, I want to use this number, this number of 25 days, and I want to use it in such a way that will help us understand perhaps how long it takes for them to travel from Avaris to the shore of of the sea. So we're going to assume it was exactly five days after they crossed the sea to the wilderness of Sin. At least five could be more. So it's at least five, but at most 25 days from the start to the sea. If we assume it's five days from crossing the sea to the wilderness of Sin, we have 25 days unaccounted for. 
So we could say if those 25 days, that's got to be before they cross the sea. So it's at most 25 days from the start from Avaris to coming to the sea before they cross, but no more than 25. So once again, the Bible is helping us with some very interesting numbers right from the text. And also, <laughs> the papyrus of Anastasi, dated to 1200 BC, is giving us a real solid look at what's the real possible location of where they're crossing the sea. Now, they're a large, this is a large group. We know that. There's thousands. We've already dealt with that before. Men, women, old, young, children, babies, the infirm, the elderly. And on top of that, go to Exodus 13, 38, and it said they had large flocks and large herds. Now, this brings up another interesting point from real scientific study. Dr. Bryant Wood of the Associates for Biblical Research. Their website is biblearchaeology.org, one word, Bible Archaeology. He wrote an article, and the article is called Thoughts on Jebel Alaz as the Location of Mount Sinai. So there are people who state that Jebel Alaz which is on the western shores of Saudi Arabia, just across from the southern tip of Mount Sinai. Um, these are pseudo-scholars, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean they just don't have the training. They do not have the expertise with regards to archaeology, uh, ancient script, uh, anything. Uh, they probably are people with good intentions. Uh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And they say, oh no, Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia is the location of Mount Sinai. But there's real issues with those who claim this. And that's what Dr. Bryant Wood is doing in his article. And just to let you know that the Associates for Biblical Research is a Christian ministry. And ABR, Associates for Biblical Research is made up of Christian, evangelical archaeologists and Bible historians and scientific experts who are actually using and showing that archaeology proves the truthfulness and reliability of the Bible. Now we're going to focus in on one major aspect of this discussion with regards to is Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia? We're just going to look at one aspect of it. There are many things that these people have to answer, and I'm going to present one of them, which is just huge. In the article for the Associates of Biblical Research, Dr. Bryant Wood says that indeed, when the Hebrews left, they were like a nomadic people, Definitely shepherds because of their large herds. And there have been studies done that nomadic groups, nomadic shepherds, when they're traveling from one location to the next, they only can travel six miles per day, no more, because of the sheep. You cannot force them to move faster than their natural way of traveling because they need to graze, they need to have water, and so on. 
This is so apparent in the Bible. The Bible actually agrees with the scientific study. In Genesis 33, 13, matter of fact, we're going to go there and read it. In Genesis 33, 13, what we have is Jacob is meeting his brother Esau, but he's got his wives with him, um, and he's got his children with him, and he's now discussing... Uh, things with his brother Esau after meeting after all these years. And basically Esau says, come on, follow me, let's go. And then there's a very interesting response to Esau's request that he wants Jacob to follow him immediately. This is in Genesis 33, 13. And Jacob says to Esau, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. <clears throat> and if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Isn't that interesting? That here we have already a Bible verse that actually shows us thousands of years ago that indeed what we discover today, that nomadic shepherds can only travel six miles per day. They can't go any further than that. So as I mentioned, this is Dr. Bryant Wood's article, Thoughts on Jabal Alaz as the location of Mount Sinai, and this is uh, can be found at biblicalarchaeology.org, or Bible, not biblical, biblearchaeology.org. And this is the website for the Associates for Biblical Research, and in that article you can find his references uh, to that study that was done on nomadic shepherds. So, on top of that, they're crossing extremely difficult conditions in Sinai. I've been there, though supposedly 3,400 years ago, it was perhaps a little bit better. So again, we're dealing with this concept as how does the Bible help us with facts so that indeed, as we go into the idea and using concepts of archaeology to prove the truthfulness of the Bible and to actually take a look at various theories. We got one theory, and this is the one we're kind of dealing with. The theory is, is Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia? It's a theory. And some say they crossed the entire Sinai Peninsula. They went to a place called Nueba or Nueba. They crossed there into Saudi Arabia, and then went south to Jabal Alaz. And so, one problem we already have is Gulf of Aqaba as the crossing of the Reed Sea at Nuiba. This conflicts with real epigraphical information, and that is the Papyrus of Anastasi, as we brought up. Because that area, Pi Hyaroth, was well known in ancient Egypt, and that is the area of the northwestern corner of the Sinai Peninsula. And that is in the area of Ishmalia, the modern city, that perhaps is the area the Bible mentions as Sukkot. Now, when we take a look at this, what I wanted to do is use the map as I go through naming some sites, because I want to take a look at 
distances, modern distances that we can take a look at today uh, from Avaris to Nuiba on the Gulf of Aqaba. So when we look at the map, if you have it, we're going to start there in the northwest corner of the Sinai Peninsula and actually uh, if you it's right in that area if you find the Gulf of Suez and just go straight up you're gonna find Ishmalia and not far from there is Tel El Daba so using the map we start at Tel El Daba and to Ishmalia if you're looking at the map it's 30 miles but that's straight flight miles it's probably longer probably 35 miles uh, because I could not find uh, any references for an ancient road that we would have known of that would have gone from Avaris to the area of then Sukkot, uh, what we call today as Ishmalia. So 30 miles straight line distance. We'll use that, but it's probably more. Now, if you recall, I said I believe it's probably three to a five day journey for the Hebrews from Tel El Daba to Sukkot only for the simple reason based upon real study, real research we have that nomadic shepherds and these guys are nomadic shepherds for sure because they're leaving with large herds and flocks can only travel six miles per day well 30 divided by six is five days so it seems like it's a five day journey just in that short distance so at any rate, Tel El Daba, we come to Sukkot, which is probably the modern city of Ishmalia. That's 30 miles. And then if we take the modern road from Sukkot and stay on the other side of the lakes, assuming that they cross the lakes, the Great Bitter Lake or the Little Bitter Lake, they take that road, the modern road, to the city of Suez at the top of the Gulf of Suez. Uh, that's another 51 miles and that is actually using the distances on the highway. Then we can take the modern highway from the city of Suez and we can start crossing the Sinai Peninsula. We can start heading east. And so we can head east and we come to the Milta Pass and then our journey halfway across comes to An-Nahi and from An-Nahi we come to Aith Tamad and the reason why I highlighted Ath Tamad, uh, the modern, you might say, place of Ath Tamad, that actually has a road, and it's not paved. Uh, it's a desert, um, actually it's a desert wadi, uh, a dry riverbed. And from Ath Tamad, you can actually travel on uh, that path through the dry riverbeds to Nuiba. Um, however, I was using the uh, Zondervan Bible Atlas written by um, my teacher, Dr. Carl Rasmussen, who is considered just a, a tremendous expert on biblical geography, and he shows that there was an ancient trade route or ancient road that went from Jebel Kashim et Tarif, and so that is still east of Ath Tamad. And once you got to Jebel Kashim et Tarif, uh, as you're heading toward the Gulf of Aqaba, and you go for another few miles, you come to a gas station, and there is a desert road that also follows a wadi. 
And Dr. Carl Rasmussen suggests that that probably followed an ancient trade route. Well, that makes sense that perhaps could the Hebrews have come to that place and then headed south from Ath Tamad to that gas station is 32 miles. Then from that gas station on the green line down to Nueva, if you're using the map, is 64.2 miles. So with all of that, we come up to the fact that the total distance from the start, using modern roads I know, is 290 miles from Tel El Daba, Avaris, to the crossing, if they did cross at the Gulf of Aqaba at Nuiba. Now remember, at most, they have 25 days to do this. Could be less. Now, the key thing here is many of these modern roads, like the road that goes from the city of Suez to An-Nahi to Aftamad, all the way across to the modern city, Hebrew city of Eliat, there on the northern tip of the Gulf of Aqaba, that follows the ancient trade route. The ancient trade route was well known, and this happens many cases in the Middle East, that the ancient trade routes are modern highways have been built on them. So if we take at most 25 days, at most 25 days, to from the start of the Exodus until they get to the sea to where they're going to cross it, 25 days, if we take 290 miles and we give them the full 25 days to make it there, that's 11.6 miles per day. That, that's too fast. When the scientific research shows us that nomadic shepherds can only travel at most 6 miles per day, and we have that Bible verse. Jacob even said it. We can't push the flocks any faster or they'll die. Now, if it's less than 25, let's say 20, we give them, we find out that it's, we find out from new archaeological research, it's 20 days from Avaris to where they're going to cross the sea. <clears throat> well, 290 divided by 20 is 14 and a half miles per day. It's worse. So again, this is too far. Now you're going to find some also. One of them is an archaeologist who has a website and all sorts of stuff. And he's got some wonderful maps and all sorts of charts and that type of stuff. And he said that what they actually did, they left Avaris, they traveled south, they hit the city of Suez, and they kept going south. So they went, if you've got the map, they go from Suez, the city of Suez, they travel on the western shores of the Sinai Peninsula, past Sudur, uh, past Abu Sanamah, and they keep heading south, and they go all the way to the tip of the Sinai Peninsula, and at the tip is Sharm el-Sheikh, which is a huge Egyptian, beautiful resort. Uh, I've been there, and I'm just telling you that the hotels are just unbelievable and fantastic. And so this archaeologist said, so therefore they traveled this route and they came and they crossed basically at the, uh, you might say, shortest distance at the Strait of Tehran, which is that narrow gap 
between that location of Saudi Arabia and the southern tip of the, of the Sinai Peninsula at Nabiq. However, when we take a look at the mileage there, we find out that it's 287 miles from Tel El Daba to Nabiq. And again, give them 25 full days to get there. 287 divided by 25 is 11 and a half miles per day. Let's say it's 18. We give them 18 days, not 25. We find that. 287 divided by 18 is 16 miles per day. So we've got some real facts that the Bible gives us. Real information. And just like Eliot Mazar, when she probably found David's palace in Jerusalem based upon Bible verses, the Bible is really helping us out, as Dr. Benjamin Mazar said, to actually use that information, and also with archaeology, to determine the actual truth from a historical perspective. So, where's Mount Sinai? We've got some amateurs that say it's Saudi Arabia. And this, this aspect of distances is a real issue. It's, it's, it's a real stretch. What are they going to do <coughs> with the papyrus of Anastasi? When it talks about the Sea of Reeds in the Ishmalia area. We talk about the distances. The distances that sheep can be driven so they don't die. And they cannot be driven beyond their capabilities. Six miles per day. And we're talking about 11 miles per day, and I think it's probably more. That's what these distances suggest. I'll just give you an example. You can go and study the journey of Ezra when he returns from ancient Babylon to Jerusalem. Remember Nehemiah and Ezra. Zerubbabel goes first and starts beginning uh, beginning to uh, build um, the, the temple again. Nehemiah comes back, starts building the wall to so that they can continue to be protected while they're building the temple. And then Ezra comes back. And in Ezra 7, the book of Ezra, uh, uh, chapter 7 verse 1 we read now these after these things in the reign of uh, uh, Artaxerxes king of Persia uh, there went up Ezra son of uh, Zechariah son of Azariah the son of Hilkiah and he has been given permission by Xerxes uh, called Artaxerxes in, in uh, the New American Standard we go down to verses 8 and 9 in the same chapter it says he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, because the good hand of his God was upon him. Four months. So let's say it's 120 days. Now these are basically lunar days, lunar months and so on, so they're not necessarily perfectly 30. One might be 29, another might be 30, 31, or whatever. So if we take 30, you can say that, first of all, when we take a look at this, we know about the ancient trade route and the distance between Susa, and that's the city from where 
Ezra left to Jerusalem. It's 900 miles. From an archaeological and a historical perspective, it is estimated that Ezra left with maybe six or 7,000 people, less than 50,000 that Zerubbabel went with. But with uh, Ezra, women and children went as well. And they traveled 900 miles, and they did it in 120 days. Now it depends. If there's no Shabbat, if they do not practice the Sabbath in those days, and I think they did, considering uh, all the things that we know about Ezra and his, and his real adherence to God's law, they would go 7.5 miles per day. If they actually did the Sabbath, it would be 8.6 miles per day. But it's not 11 miles per day. These guys were probably traveling faster than the Hebrews. We don't know that. There's another documented journey. The other documented journey is Thutmose III, Pharaoh Thutmose III, prior to the Exodus in the 15th century BC. This is before the Exodus. He attacked his enemies in northern Israel, the Canaanite king of Kadesh. Thutmose III's scribe, we have been able to determine how fast and how long it took him to get from Egypt to Megiddo. He had to travel 18 miles per day. Now that's an army. That's not regular folk with kids and the elderly and large, harks, uh, large herds and flocks. So, what's the Bible helping us see? Guys, that Mount Sinai is Saudi Arabia? is very problematic. It could be. It's possible. But right now, what the Bible is saying, it's not probable. There's so much more with regards to this study. And I really uh, say that a, a good place to stop at is the Associates for Biblical Research or BibleArchaeology.org. Go there. They got a little search window and just type in Mount Sinai. And you'll get all the articles about that discussion. But this, along with uh, other archaeological and geographical facts, make the theory untenable at best. I'm just giving an example. There is a uh, supposed scholar that I know that's got even some videos at YouTube that talk about a menorah that they found there at Jabal al-Waz in that area and say, see, we got this menorah that was carved into the rock. Now that's very interesting. I've seen the pictures and that type of stuff. Uh, however, the menorah has actually been destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore. Now here's the issue. We've got pictures. That's all wonderful. But we have scientific tools to actually study engravings on rock and based upon tools used, depth, etc., we can determine the time period when the etchings, when the things were carved into a rock. That's never been done with that menorah. It's never been done with supposedly what they say are Hebrew letters that are discovered on rocks in that area. Now, it could very well be that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, but the problem is when you deal with what real archaeologists are doing, they find a carving, they find some writing, 
and they put it to such amazing tests <clears throat> to determine how old that writing is. If you recall, there was a bone box found, and with uh, the name, I believe it was um, something like James, the son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus, the James box. And there was a big debate for a number of years, and they actually used scientific, amazing scientific methods to discover that indeed the actual carving in the side of the ossuary, the bone box, actually was dated to the first century AD during Jesus' day. Now that didn't prove that it was Jesus' brother James and that was his bone box. <clears throat> but we do know that the ossuary and the carving on that ossuary was dated to the first century AD. Nothing has been done like this with any of the things that they claim at Jabal Awaz in Saudi Arabia. So again, the Bible helps us with some real interesting information, interesting facts. It has led to Eliot Mazar to actually perhaps find the Palace of David. And here we have real Bible facts that challenge the theory. And again, those people who hold to that theory now have to answer this question. One person said to me, well, that's easy. It was a miracle. God kind of just snapped his fingers and poof. Yeah, six miles per day, that's right. But they just, you know, they they were one day on the west side of Sinai, and then the next day they were there at Nueva, and God did a miracle. Now, it's very interesting. God seems to record all of his miracles in the major events as we take a look in the Torah, and it doesn't. there's not even any indication that any miracle was done here. Miracle of the sea, certainly. When we finally arrive at Sinai, we're going to re again return to this issue. But one of the things that is amazing to me is that the Bible helps us, even with modern theories today, and it's just like these distances and so on. Where's Mount Sinai? <clears throat> we still don't know. There's a number of candidates for the real Mount Sinai. And it's just very interesting to me that God in his Torah is not precise about its location. And as uh, one great scholar I know who I rely on an awful lot is Dennis Prager. He, and he says, that let, you know, let's bring our mind and our brain to the Bible. Perhaps the location of Mount Sinai is not the issue. But that God came to be with his people and to give them and enter into a covenant, a covenant that was unlike any covenant in ancient times because this covenant was pictured as a covenant of marriage between a man and woman and godly marriage. The location of Sinai is not the issue, but that God wants to be with us. So I bless you, I'll see you in part two. Shalom. Thank you.